Jewish, and welcome to the study of the Book of Jude. Now, some of you may be wondering why I have decided to start a series on Jude when I just started my series on Hosea, which is itself a series I started after only covering two chapters of Luke's Gospel. Well, there's a few reasons. The first reason is that, God willing, we're going to be spending a lot of time in the Old Testament. Now, we're going to cover 12 um, Old Testament books during our study of Luke's Gospel. Then, during our study of Mark's Gospel, we will also be looking at the Book of Psalms. After we finish with the four Gospel writers, we are going to start the series through the Old Testament um, and I'm not sure where I'm going to stop. I'm starting on Genesis. I don't know where I'm going to stop. We may stop at 2 Kings, 2 Chronicles. I may even go all the way to the book of Job. I'm not sure yet. But, whatever the case, we will be covering nine New Testament books. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, 1st, 2nd, 3rd, John and Revelation. While at the same time covering 13 Old Testament books before starting a journey through exclusively the Old Testament. My plan is to, at random intervals, do a letter from the New Testament. That way we will be keeping a decent enough balance of all the New Testament studies. Now after this, um, I will probably be going back to the plan as usual and just do Luke and the Minor Prophets for a while, but I don't know yet, we'll see. Um, I'm not sure. I do want to cover both Ephesians and Philemon at some stage as well, so maybe I'll do them soon, maybe I'll do them later. I don't know, we'll see how it goes. The second reason I decided to start a series on Jude is that I want to talk about false teachers. I just kind of feel like talking about that. I don't like doing um, topical stuff and I prefer to cover like entire books. Now obviously I have no problem starting a study of a book, pausing it to go and do something else and then coming back and finishing it later. But I don't like the idea of just picking a topic or random verse from a book and then doing a one-off sermon on that. I have no problem with that style of preaching as a whole. I think it has its place. Um, I just don't want to do it here with my ministry. I'm not trying to disparage any other preacher who might want to do it. Um, but like I say, I'm willing to cover entire books with breaks in between. I'm not willing to, personally, at least not at this stage, maybe later on, but at this stage I don't want to pick verses at random from books. I'd like to go through the entire book, even if it pauses in the middle of it. Now another good reason, at least good in my opinion, for doing this book now, is that I've only recently started my ministry back up again, um, after about a four month break. And I think it's, um, it's a good book to cover. It's good to cover a book like this, in the early days, as it were, because looking back on this series might keep me grounded if I ever start to have some personal problems or doctrinal problems in the future. The fourth reason why I wanted to do this sort of relates to the second. Um, I mentioned that I wanted to do stuff on false teachers. Well, Jude is a short book, so this won't be a very long series. I don't think it would last more than two weeks, um, but I could be very much mistaken on that. Either way, it, it won't be much of a detour. So if you're looking forward to us getting back to either Hosea or Luke, you won't have to wait very long. And the final reason is a sort of a sentimental um, one. So far in my life, I've only ever done one commentary, and that was a commentary on the book of Jude. Now, it wasn't very good. I actually did the entire thing 
in one evening and it really shows and i really tried to do it all in one evening i remember sitting there at like five halfway through the book after spending a few hours on it and being like i'll just rush it just do like one or two lines in every verse it'll be fine um and i really resent that sort of attitude that i had now so i'm glad god has brought me out of that um but yeah no it, it does really really show that, that it was done in one evening so i want to kind of go back and redo jude and have another look at it um now if you want to find that commentary uh you can't i got rid of it but anyway look that's enough rambling we're four and a half minutes in it's time to actually get to the verse so take your bible which you should have with you and turn to the book of jude don't ask what chapter and let's begin now since jude is only one chapter long i'm going to read the entire book and then reread the specific section which we will be studying today and i'll probably keep this up throughout the entire um series i may do this with every one chapter book we cover i don't know we'll see let me know what you think of it so here we have the book of jude jude a servant of jesus christ and brother of james to those who are called beloved in god the father and kept for jesus christ may mercy peace and love be multiplied to you beloved although i was very eager to write to you about our common salvation I found it necessary to write repeating to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were des uh, designated for this condemnation. And godly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus who saved a people out of the land of Egypt afterward destroyed those people who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept them in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire, Yet in like manner these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. These people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. <coughs> Woe to them! For they walk in the way of Cain and abandon themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perish in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts as they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents following their own sinful desire. They are loud-mouthed boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. But you must, you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
they said to you in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause division, worldly people devoid of the spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. Do others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Saviour, to Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Now I will reread the specific section which we will be looking at today. So this is Jude 1, 2, 3 and 4. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who revert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So we'll go to verse 1. Here we are introduced to the writer of the letter, who is Jude. Now, he's, I don't want to say a controversial character, but he sort of is in a way. Um, no one can really seem to agree who he is. Now, his real name is G uh, Judas, though it was likely transfer, uh, translated to Jude as people um, might have been worried that readers would read the name Judas and confuse him with Judas Iscariot. But that's just a guess. Now, some say he was Jesus' brother because uh, he has a brother called James and two of Jesus' brothers were Judas and James. This is the only real evidence for this claim, but there also isn't really any against it. While Jude does introduce himself as the brother of James, he is only, sorry, that is only after he calls himself a servant of Christ. In this way, Christ takes priority. Now, it was common to introduce yourself by referring to someone else in some way. For example, someone from the time might know two Judes. If the one had a brother called Simon and the other had a brother called James, then the first was Jude, brother of Simon, and the second was Jude, brother of James. Um, people weren't always known by their siblings. Sometimes people would be known by their fathers. Uh, but generally, there was some sort of a secondary person, a second person whose name would be used to specify who you were talking to. You wouldn't say, I was talking to John, because like in Ireland in the modern day, there's about three billion Johns in a town of about 100 people. So you'd say, I was talking to John, brother of John, brother of Michael, or something like that. Now, here, Jude does this sort of thing in a normal way. He, he does refer to, Jesus, uh, to himself as the brother of James. But only after he calls himself a servant of Christ. He is saying... I am Jude, and the thing which separates me from all the other people called Jude, the thing which makes me who I am, is that I belong to Christ. My most defining attribute is that I am his. The reason 
that she then goes on to specify that he is the brother of James is because while being a servant of Christ was certainly the most important thing about him, it wasn't enough to let people, um, or let the people that he was talking to know exactly who he was. Uh, among the apostles, for example, there were two Judases or Judai, I don't know how you say that. Um, there was Judas Iscariot and Judas son of James. If we go to Luke chapter 6 verse 16, we see that it says, and Judas the son of James and Judas Iscariot who became a traitor. I know that this is part of the listing of the apostles. Um, and these are the last two listed. And sometimes Judas uh, son of James is also known as the brother of James or Thaddeus. Now, I think that the Judas or Jude that is writing the letter um, that we are reading now is the same Judas that is actually mentioned in Luke 6.16. I believe he was one of the apostles. Of course, now we must ask the question of, you know, who was he writing to? Uh, a lot of people seem to think that Jude was written to the church at large, but I'm not sure of this um, because uh, Jude seems to be addressing a specific group. He says in the letter, I wanted to write to you about our common salvation. I think that there was a particular group that he had in mind. However, through the grace of God, the whole church now gets to benefit from what he had to say while under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Now Jude says that the people he is writing to are being kept for Christ. This makes sense when you consider the doctrine of the pers uh, perseverance of the saints. If we go to John chapter 10 verse 28, we see that it says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. God, in his love and mercy, is keeping his people from falling away. I want to quickly go back and address something, by the way. Um, I think that this Jude, being the Judas who was an apostle, disqualifies him from possibly being Jesus' brother because Jesus' brothers did not believe in him until after the resurrection. So I believe he was one of the apostles. I don't believe he was uh, the brother. So I thought I'd just throw that in there quickly. Now we move on to verse 2. And here Jude says that he wishes for the readers of the letter to experience uh, multiplied mercy, love and peace. I think this again demonstrates that Jude had a particular audience in mind with whom he had a prior relationship. He knows and deeply cares about the recipients of, these, uh, of this letter. It's not just random faceless people who, fair enough, he is connected to being in the body of Christ. These are people who he knows their names, he knows their faces, he knows their brothers. You go to verse 3. Here, Jude explains how he was planning to write to the recipient of the letter about their common salvation, but felt compelled to talk about a different matter instead. In fact, he says that it was necessary for him to talk about this topic. Uh, while I would certainly have liked to have read the book that Jude was planning on writing, I think it was overall better that we got this. Of course, I mean, obviously it was. This is the word of God. And that's what the book wouldn't have been. Uh, but to understand why this is better apart, obviously, from it being the, the word of God. Um, and to understand why it was necessary that he wrote this. We must know who Jude was talking about. Or what Jude was talking about. And that we find out in verse 4. Here... Uh, we see that it was uh, what it was that Jude felt that he needed to write about, that it was necessary to write about. There are people in the church who do not belong there. 
there are three types of people. There's Christians, there's false Christians, and there's non-Christians. Christians pose no threat to Christianity because of two reasons. One, they obviously don't want to go against Christianity. And two, they're led by the Holy Spirit anyway. Uh, Non-Christians also pose no threat to Christianity. No matter how hard Richard Dawkins or Aaron Ra or any of those other faux intellectuals try to destroy Christianity, they are mere men battling God. However, there is one group who poses somewhat of a threat, at least in some way. That group is false Christians. These are Christians who like being Christians, but don't necessarily like being Christians. So they will call themselves Christians even when it isn't true. That means that when they get led away by non-Christian non ideas, they bring Christianity with them. So when they start believing things that aren't Christian, instead of recognizing that they are not Christian, they try to claim that the non-Christian ideas are Christian. And that's what I mean by being Christian or being Christian. They want to be Christian in the sense that they want to call themselves Christian. They don't want to be Christian in the sense that they actually want to be the thing that Christianity actually is. They'd rather change Christianity to be what they are. We see many examples of this. Homosexuality is a sin. But some people want to be Christian without actually being Christian. So they pretend that Christianity is completely accepting of homosexuality. Abortion is murder and murder is a sin. But non-Christians who pretend to be Christian want to have one foot in both camps. So they claim Christianity while having the worldly view that the ongoing slaughter of the most innocent beings in the universe is just hunky-dory. The Bible says that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. The world says that the love of money is a good thing. I had in my notes a natural thing, but there's a difference between natural and good, because man is naturally sinful and that is not good. The love of money is a natural thing, that's true, but it's not a good thing, but the world claims it is. So how can you appease both the world and the Bible? It's simple. You take the words of the world and you pretend that they are in the Bible. That's how you get people like Joel Osteen and Kenneth Copeland. And there are many false Christians in the church today. Like I just mentioned, you have Joel Osteen and Kenneth Copeland. But there's also a fella online who's both a practicing homosexual and a serving pastor in a church. You probably know of him, Brandon Robertson. He's gotten quite big recently. These people take the views of the world and try to push them onto Jesus and then sit back happily thinking that they're safely in both camps. That they belong to both the world and Jesus. In truth, they don't belong to either of them. As he who does not firmly belong to Christ is an enemy of Christ. He who is not for God is against God. If you think that you are just a little bit for him, but not completely for him, then you are completely against him. There's no middle ground in this. And Christians in the modern day want to act like this isn't a problem. And while you do have some men standing and fighting for the truth, men like Justin Peters, Colin Miller, Reformed Wiki, all um, have ministries online. Justin Peters has a ministry as well, 
in real life he's an evangelist and i'd recommend you check them out you do have brave men like that you also have other people who will go as far as to shame you if you dare speak out against even the most rank heretics why well because they think you are causing division in the body the truth is you cannot cause division in one body by damaging another you cannot cause division to the body of christ by calling out someone who is not a part of that body now at the same time we must avoid this well like what i like to call a, a martin luther complex which so many people have and um, by martin luther complex i mean this idea that some people have that every minor disagreement must lead to a new denomination now in reality these people are nothing like martin luther luther was a reformer these people are schismatics uh, we cannot che uh, tear the church apart from the inside because we do not agree with what every other member of the body is doing. We would only be assuring it overall destruction. That's not what Martin Luther wanted, but I think that's how a lot of people see him. They see him as this great man who wanted to stick it to the church and start his own thing. He didn't. He loved the Catholic Church. If Martin Luther were to come back today and you were to ask him, Hey, it's Lord's Day. Do you want to attend service at a Catholic church or do you want to send attend service at a Protestant church? He'd probably be very hopeful and say Catholic church. And the same is true for people like St. Patrick, for Augustine, for all of these people. But if you were to say to them, do you want to attend um, church A or church B? And then church A, you list out all the Catholic doctrines and church B, you list out the Protestant reformed you know calvinistic doctrines but you don't label each, either one as catholic or protestant you don't give them a name you just tell them their doctrines all those men who would pick catholic would pick option b they pick the protestant one because they hear catholic and they think if they're catholic from their time when the catholic church taught um either good doctrine like with saint patrick or in martin luther's time where he saw the catholic church as something to be salvaged but they would not agree with modern day Catholic beliefs but they still love the, the Catholic Church they were not schismatics they would want to do as Luther tried to do reform the church and have the one holy Catholic Church under God not all these millions and billions and trillions I might be exaggerating a bit but you get what I mean different denominations if luther could see all the denominations that started because of him he probably would be mortified now what he did was still necessary and that was an unfortunate byproduct of a necessary event but i i think luther would always have hoped even when new for even new um, denominations started to form he would have always hoped i genuinely believe he would always hoped that it would have all come together back under the one holy Catholic Church, but the Catholic Church isn't so holy anymore. But we have to understand what you know what so many people fail to understand: a brother or sister in Christ that you disagree with is not the same thing as a heretic. We also see in this verse the idea of predestination. We see that there are those who are predestined to hell, or as the verse puts it designated to condemnation jude doesn't dwell deeply into this topic however did i say dwell delve deeply into this topic however in my opinion 
Jude's nonchalant attitude towards this subject just makes the case for predestination even stronger. Jude didn't need to explain the idea of predestination. He just assumed that the recipient of the letter knew and understood the idea and accepted it as fact. Finally, in this verse we see the kinds of false teaching Jude was addressing. He lists a few, but one of the most notable is the denial of Christ. Specifically, the denial of our only master, Jesus Christ. This makes it seem like people, um, that the people that he was referring to were denying the exclusivity of Christ. And, you know, this is something we see all the time today. I remember seeing something with um, Steve Harvey where he's like, well, you're, you know, when you're flicking through the channels and there's all these different channels and there's good stuff on all of them. Well, there must be good stuff in all these religions. It's not how it works. People say, oh, there are many roads through life. And that's absolutely true. There are millions of roads through life. And of those roads, there is one that does not lead to hell. What application can we get from this passage? Well, firstly, we see the importance of calling out false teachers. Jude said that he felt it was necessary to write a letter calling out false teachers. Now, this might be a reference to the Holy Spirit coming in and changing his mind about what letter he's going to write and then inspiring him. Um, or it could be that the Holy Spirit obviously inspired him. But... He was more so referring to the fact that he became aware of this topic and just thought, no, I have to write about this. This cannot go um, under the radar, as it were. Uh, now, that doesn't mean that we go about bashing everyone we don't happen to like. And I see that sometimes. I see people go out of their way to just make stuff up about a teacher they don't like. They will say, oh, I don't like Jimbo, um, so I'm going to take a clip of him saying something. That's completely orthodox. And I'm either going to say that it's heretical. Uh, because the wording he's using is quite complex. And it can be made to sound that way. Or um, I'm just going to deny the doctrine or whatever it is. But they're basically lying about the person they don't like. In order to turn that person into a boogeyman. You see this all the time with people like uh, John MacArthur. And as well just with Calvinism in general. People turn Calvinists into boogeymen. Because, oh, well, I don't like these Calvinists, so I'm going to claim that they're not saved. Um, you know, I've heard Lordship Salvation referred to as Lordship Damnation. You know, so it's people t taking people they don't like and turning them into boogeymen. Uh, I saw there was one clip of John MacArthur saying that it wasn't the blood of Christ that saved us, but the death of Christ. Which sounds bad, but it's true. If Jesus came to earth, pricked his finger and left... He would have bled, but we wouldn't have been saved. That when the, the verses are referring to Jesus' blood washing away our sins, it's referring to his death. Sort of like when you use the phrase shed blood. Um, you might hear of innocent blood being shed in wartime or whatever. It's not referring to someone hurting themselves. It's referring to people dying. It's the same sort of language. The blood, if Jesus fell and scraped his knee, mankind would not be saved. It's because the blood was spilled while he was dying, and because he then did die, that we are saved. But people took this verse, 
uh, this uh, clip of John MacArthur, they played it and they said, well, he's denying the blood of Christ. Because MacArthur said it wasn't the blood that saved us, literally, but the death that literally saved us, the blood, it was simply the Bible's way of saying that he shed blood, he died for us, and therefore we are saved. And the things like Jesus' blood washes away our sins being not entirely metaphorical, like we can take a bath with Jesus' blood or anything like that. Um, which is biblical when you actually use your brain, but some people aren't capable of that. And so they were saying, he denies the blood of Christ, he's a heretic. And a common section full of people, no problem with this at all. Like, oh yeah, that sounds great. Because they also didn't like the character. And now I'm not going to sit here and idolize the guy, I'm not going to say he's perfect. I disagree with him on some things. I have problems with him on some things. Overall, I find him a very a brilliant man, a great teacher. Um, very useful if I'm studying a book to go and see what he has to say about it. Like I say, some things I would disagree with him on. I'm never going to sit here and lie about him because he said something I disagree with. And then you have other people who I have much more severe disagreements with. People like Brandon Roberts and like Joe Lowstein. I will never in my life, so long as I have any amount of integrity inside of me, sit down and make a video lying about someone. If I have to lie about someone to prove that they are bad, then they're not bad enough for me to make a claim about in the first place. Now, maybe I will lose my integrity instead doing that, but you'll know that I'll have changed dramatically by then. Um, but yeah, that, that's what happens. These people, they want a boogeyman. They want someone to point out and say, oh, that, that guy's the heretic, that guy's the false teacher. And instead of doing it to actual false teachers, they do it to brothers in Christ they disagree with in order to have a boogeyman. And the higher profile the boogeyman, the better. That's why, you know, you're not going to see the vast amount of videos about john joe down the road who has a youtube channel with 100 subscribers as you were with john MacArthur. even if john joe his fictional character is a complete rank heretic it's not profitable to make videos about him as it is to make them about john MacArthur. and i know i'm going on about john MacArthur. that was just a reason a uh, one i saw um recently so we cannot sit and lie about our brothers and sisters to make them into bad guys and we cannot nitpick as well. well I mean, we can nitpick, I suppose, but we have to acknowledge we're nitpicking. If we nitpick, we have to say, oh, I don't like this, but I am nitpicking, so it's not that big of a deal. But we can't nitpick and pretend it's like the most important doctrine ever, the most important thing ever. Like, he doesn't wear a tie when he's preaching. Heretic, you know, it's... Some things aren't that big of a deal. But at the same time... Um... We cannot allow people, false teachers, to get away with this. While we must show grace, love, kindness, and charity, that doesn't mean that when someone is leading people astray, we allow it. And we certainly don't admonish those brothers and sisters who bravely take a stand against the wolves in sheep's clothing. Secondly, I think that we can see the importance of Sola Scriptura, in a way. The Bible is the word of God, not tradition. We must follow it or we will be led down some dark paths. The Bible never says you should love money. It says the exact opposite. But some recent traditions in the world say we should. We must always remember to be thankful for the word God has given us. And that's the problem with 
sects like Catholicism, they say tradition is on par with scripture. No, it's not. You go back a few decades and you ask a priest about the doctrine of beating children for being left-handed. They'll say, oh yeah, that's biblical. That's, that's, that's Christ-like doctrine. That goes all the way back to the apostles. You ask a fairly young priest today about the doctrine of beating children for being left-handed. They might not even know what you're talking about. They might not have a clue. It's the same with indulgences. It's the same with so many of these things. They're fads. They come and go. These traditions are fads. Some of them stick, some of them don't. You have some really bad ones, like the, the, the lot of stuff around Mariology um, and Purgatory, which stick. And then you have some other ones, which are in their own right quite horrific. In fact, I, I don't know why I said really bad ones. They're all really bad. Things like indulgences. Things like beating children for being left-handed until they're right-handed. Or until they can write with their right hand. The times... During the time that these were common doctrines, people would talk about them in the same way that people today talk about purgatory or talk about Mary. And if we're hopeful, um, if God is merciful in this way, and of course God is merciful either way, but if God is merciful in this way, then perhaps maybe we might find ourselves in a world without these doctrines at some stage. And I'd like that. I want to get rid of them. These are fads that should never have been here in the first place. Never mind overstaying the welcome. They were never welcome to begin with. The, pur the doctrine of purgatory, for any Catholics watching who are offended, the doctrine of purgatory, the doctrine of Mariology, is as sound a doctrine as the doctrine of being left-handed, being a sin, and the idea that we should beat children for it. They're not the same type of doctrine, but they're just as sound as each other, and that's not sound at all. I don't know who's listening to this, but I do know one thing. You are a sinner. How do I know this? Well, because the Bible tells me so. The Bible tells me that Christ died for the sins of his people. Perhaps you believed you were saved, but you just realised you weren't. Or perhaps you know you aren't saved, but you want to be. Either way, the solution is the same. Recognise that you are a sinner. Repent of your sins. And believe in Christ Jesus. In a world that says you can get to heaven in a million different ways. The truth remains that he is our only hope. Thanks for watching this video. I hope you liked it and found it enjoyable. Most of all, I hope you found it edifying. Please be sure to join us next time as we continue the study of the wonderful word of our wonderful God. Thanks for watching. Goodbye. God bless. God bless. Excuse me. And son, harvest. Glamour.